What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today's episode is another what I'm calling plebcast. And basically, these come about uh, because people reach out to me in DMs on Twitter, usually um, just asking if we can have a chat. And I try to oblige as much as possible. And if the conversation, sometimes I record them live and sometimes uh, not. But if it turns out to be what I think is an interesting conversation and what I think might, uh, others might find to be an interesting conversation, then I, instead of putting it in my personal archives, which are starting to get pretty, pretty big, I actually end up publishing publicly. Uh, and that's the case with this one. And I'm finding, actually, as much as I enjoy having like a domain expert on the podcast and really you know, learning from their expertise, uh, it's just so enjoyable to connect with other Bitcoiners because the it's just such a genuine, open, respectful conversation where, you know, the, that Bitcoin lens that we often talk about, that worldview is so similar that it makes it really easy to communicate information and to empathize with them and to share information and ideas. It's really just, I love it. So that's what this one is all about. And that's how this show came about. But first, I would like to thank the sponsors of this podcast. First is CoinKite. You know them, you love them. They're a Bitcoiners Bitcoin company and they produce the gold standard Bitcoin hardware wallet, the cold card. You're likely familiar with it if you're a hardcore Bitcoiner. If you're not, this is a great way, an initial step to secure and take custody of your Bitcoin. And of course, it's compatible with a lot of the other uh, wallets out there for multi-signature solutions. So if you're not yet taking custody of your Bitcoin, Shame on you. You should be if you're dealing with any significant amounts. And of course, they have a lot of other fun stuff at the store, not just for fun, actually. I mean, some of it is very practical and uh, for enhancing your the security of your self-custody solutions and enabling you to interact with Bitcoin more securely. But they also have some fun stuff for gifting Bitcoin, uh, like Open Dimes or the Block Clock Mini um, and lots of other, you know, swag to... Uh, signal your love for bitcoin if you still haven't purchased your bitcoin and you're in canada bull bitcoin is the place to do it phenomenal exchange again a bitcoiners bitcoin exchange run by hardcore bitcoiners who do a lot of stuff behind the scenes to make sure that the your experience is as private and secure as possible they're a non-custodial exchange so when you make the purchase order you give them an address so as soon as it's purchased it goes right to your custody. They don't hold on to it. And this helps to avoid certain security pitfalls that other exchanges can potentially suffer from. If you or more likely someone you know is a bit intimidated by the custody process, by taking custody of your Bitcoin, and you know this is one of the things that this is probably the primary differentiator that makes Bitcoin valuable, that you can have such a degree of such a high degree of ownership over your property, over your money. Bitcoinsupport.com is there to help make that transition to a new paradigm easier. So they're there to hold your hand to make sure that you're custodying Bitcoin securely and you're taking advantage of uh, the unique benefits that Bitcoin offers. So check out bitcoinsupport.com if you or someone you know needs help in this regard. And finally, the Bitcoin 2022 conference at the Miami Beach Convention Center, April 6th to the 9th. I mean, it's, you can't even really call this a conference at this point. It's some kind of other like celebration or religious meeting or something like that. It's, it, it seems to 
not fit in the box of conference. The first day is the industry day. So if you're looking for a job in Bitcoin or if you're looking for opportunities to invest in the industry, this is the place to network and find those opportunities. Then there's the conference days with speakers like Naib Bukele, Jack Mallers, Elizabeth Stark, Michael Saylor. And what I'm super stoked about, the recently announced edition of Jordan Peterson. I can't wait to hear that talk. And then finally, the Sound Money Fest, the first ever Bitcoin music festival. Uh, of course, I've never been to one, but I presume with all the awesome people there and headliners like Logic and Steve Aoki and many other great DJs, it's probably going to be a lot of fun. So I can't wait for that. Ticket prices go up March 18th, so make sure you get yours before then. You can get a discount on your ticket by using Bitcoin and make sure you use the code RAPIDFIRE at checkout to get 10% off. That's it. Enjoy the show. Let's do it. Check, check, check. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. There we go. There Thanks we go. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? Good. Good. Can't complain given, you know, the state of the world and such, but yeah, man. I try to ignore most of the madness, focus on the good yeah, stuff. Yeah, that seems to be the best recipe for sure. I mean, what else are you going to do? So much of it is out of your control. And it's really easy to paint a pretty horrible picture of the world. But, you know, by and large, in most places, I mean, there's large systemic issues, obviously, that we're trying to contribute to rectifying. But, you know, life for most people is, or for a lot of people, is still pretty tolerable, right? And it's largely what you make of it. So I feel bad I for the crazy, the craziness and, you know, it seems to be ramping up, but, you know, I got to try to keep a oh, yeah. perspective on things. It's been crazy. Yeah. I think, uh, like you said, you know, there's a lot going on, but a lot of it is noise. Right. So I think we have to kind of, yeah, keep, keep what's important. And then everything else that's noise, just kind of just leave it aside. So, uh, that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. And the, the key is obviously to focus on the emerging solution, or at least for me, that that's the, the key. And that's obviously Bitcoin. So, you know, I try not to doom scroll on Twitter too much because uh, it can sour your day pretty quickly and chew up a lot oh, yeah. of time. No doubt. Yeah, I agree. So tell me about, you know, your story and why you wanted to chat and all that stuff. All right. Well, you know, like I mentioned in my message, I, uh, I heard your plebcast um, and, and I felt like it would be a good space for me to also share my experience because, you know, I've, I've kind of noticed it seems like there's not a lot of Bitcoin people out there. Yeah, there's probably people buying Bitcoin, but they're also buying altcoins and other stuff. So for me, it's been, you know, Bitcoin is what has changed my, my outlook on life. And coincidentally, it happened at the same time that I was, you know, starting as a nurse with COVID going on with everything. And I started seeing a lot of similarities. Um, and then I feel like when we, we start to look at different things and we can draw lines between them, um, that's where we know that there's, you know, there's something there. You know what I mean? When we see the same pattern being repeated in different things. So um, the more I learned about Bitcoin, the more I kept, you know, dealing with this whole COVID hysteria as a nurse in the ICU, um, they kind of both started to merge and make sense. 
and um, it kind of helped me formulate the idea that obviously there's many important things in life, but it seems like money and health are two things that we can't do without. And, you know, obviously if we could have all the money in the world, but if we don't have health, there's not much we can do and vice versa. So um, that, that was kind of how everything started. I could, I don't know, I could kick things off maybe with a, with a story that I thought was one of the, you know, determining moments or. Sure, um, go for it. So, like I said, I was in the ICU dealing with COVID. The world was getting crazy. Uh, it seems like we got used to it now, but it was just starting to get crazy. And I had two patients that were kind of, um, I had them at about the same time, similar situations. They, they both came in for COVID, obviously. Um, they were mid sixties. One was male, the other was female. History of diabetes. Um, and then they also had hypertension, which usually, you know, goes hand in hand. And they didn't really have a lot of, you know, comorbidities going on, but they had a similar, they were, they came in in a similar way. They were both on a BiPAP, which if, in case somebody might not know, it's just a mechanism, a machine for assisted breathing. So they both came in on the BiPAP. It's kind of, you know, it covers your nose, your mouth. It's kind of obtrusive. It's, it's uncomfortable. It, it, I think it creates fear, you know, because like you, it's, you just have this thing on your face. It's, it was kind of, you could see the anxiety in patients. Anyway, um, I, I started to notice now in retrospect, you know, thinking about them because I didn't have them at the same time, but they were close together. Um, the male patient, we'll call him Luis, and we'll call the female patient Carmen. Luis, um, I could tell he had, you know, we could say an addiction to food, you know, like that was what he was most concerned about the whole time. So obviously, when you have that mask on your face, and when you have COVID, your priorities change. Um, your priority in the ICU is breathing, right? Mm -hmm. For that time being, it's more important to breathe than it is to eat. Um, you can probably go for a while without eating. So despite that, you know, oh, he was a Spanish speaking man. So um, the fact that I could speak Spanish also kind of helped us connect, but he, there was still this, this distance because he was just focused on food. Um, so I, I told him, you know, right now you need to focus on breathing. Food is secondary. Um, so through this whole time, he kept insisting. We kind of argued. We would fight a little bit because he kept insisting. And he and then, you know, he would take off the mask and his oxygen saturation would drop. And then he'd start getting stressed out, you know, and and it was very evident, you know, that he could he could measure it himself that he needed to breathe. Um, we'll go to Carmen now for a second on she, on, on the other hand, she was more calm, also Spanish speaking, you know, we spoke Spanish that helped her, you know, kind of calm down. Um, she understood that she needed to keep that on and that, you know, she needed to, to focus on breathing. So right away, I could tell, you know, there was, there was a difference between them. Luis, I would tell him, look, if, if you know, you desat, your oxygen goes down, we're going to have to intubate you. Once we intubate you, your likelihood of survival decreases drastically. So we want to avoid at all costs to have you intubated. So you need to, you know, try to relax. You know, it was, it was a full day conversation. Um, 
Carmen, on the other hand, she understood this. She, she understood and she had read, this is kind of what, you know, touching on Bitcoin for a second makes me think of, you know, verify, don't trust. The hospital, doctors, nurses, everybody just wants to intubate you right away with COVID because that seemed like the, the solution, despite the fact that we were all seeing, and there was a study at that time saying that nine out of 10 people that were intubated with COVID didn't make it, but we kept intubating. And I don't know if you remember, there was a push, you know, Ford started making uh, mechanical ventilators and like, you know, we just have to intubate. So she was like, no, you know what? Um, I did a little reading and I realized that survival rate with mechanical ventilation isn't, isn't optimal. So I'm just, I just want to stay with this. Unless I pass out, I do not want to be intubated. So everybody was pushing and pushing and she just resisted, you know, she did her own verification of the facts. And she said, despite what everybody else is telling me, I know what, what I think is best for me. And um, I'm trying to sum it up because obviously there's a lot. And then, you know, from here, we can probably start branching out. But um, her husband was also, he would call me all the time and he he had a guava tree in his backyard and he had read online. He did some verifying too, you know, that uh, guava leaf tea was good in opening airways. And um, he wanted to send in some of this tea for his wife. So I asked the charged nurse and she was like, no, you know, we, we can't let people bring in things because it interferes with treatment. And uh, I'm like, interferes with treatment. It's the tea, you know, like it's from a, from a, plant in his yard um so i kind of had to fight them for it you know and that's something they teach us in nursing school too is being a patient advocate so i kind of fought for it we had to make her sign a paper release form saying that you know they were bringing in bringing in guava leaf tea and that you know if anything happened that they they wouldn't make the hospital liable um so I'll try to, you know, sum it up. If anything, we can go back to the details later on. But she, Carmen resisted. She was in there for about five weeks, never was intubated. Um, and she made it. She made it. Then she was, you know, downgraded to telemetry floor and then eventually went home. Um, going back to Luis, I went home that night after kind of, you know, talking about the food the whole day, come back the next day and he was intubated. And I heard from the, uh, the nurse that was giving me report from the night shift that family members had brought in some McDonald's for him because he didn't like the food at the hospital. So I, I don't know, it just kind of gives me goosebumps even now remembering it, you know, because I had to fight over guava leaf tree, uh, guava leaf tea. And then, you know, there's no issue with McDonald's and there doesn't seem to be Nobody seemed to realize the issue right there, you know? Um, so yeah, that was kind of an eye-opener for me and, and kind of started showing me what the medical system is, is all about. And, you know, verify, don't trust. He just trusted, you know, the doctors wanting to intubate him and uh, um, high time preference too, I guess we could, we could bring in, you know, he was just very focused on the now, the food, the, the need. And, um, so yeah, that's where I think I kind of started to relate Bitcoin and health and, you know. Well, what happened to Luis? Did he make it? Well, I think, I think, yeah, you, 
you probably realize it, but yeah, he, he was one of the nine, unfortunately, that was intubated. And I don't know, probably a week later, um, he unfortunately passed away. So obviously that, that is, I mean, it's unfortunate because Carmen was the only patient who did that. She was the only patient who said, no, I don't, I don't want this tube down my throat, which we can also go into other things. It's not just a tube down your throat. It entails a whole bunch of other things, um, which arguably aren't good for your health. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, we could say there was a hundred percent success rate in resisting intubation. I just, obviously if we're knowing statistics, that doesn't mean much. Just one person, obviously we'd have to have had a bigger, um, population to determine how useful it was you know yeah well this is you know this discussion you know the original message you sent me was kind of how your understanding of bitcoin and your experiences uh in nursing have led you to see the corruption in the medical system uh as well as the monetary system and obviously they're related but you know this is one of the problems that we currently face is that you have these um like blanket institutional institutionally directed or institutionally uh dictated directives uh about how like a standard of care for example to be used across the board and as a result of that it has the liability protection it has the social sanction it has all of those things and then so and if you want to step outside of that if you want to say hey you know i'd like to be treated as an individual or hey maybe these institutions are lacking certain information that could be used to improve health outcomes. And, you know, shouldn't I as an individual be able to have some kind of input or control over that? Uh, you know, the answer is, is generally no, because it lacks all of the sanction, be it legal or otherwise. And then you, you have this like tension between medical care providers and patients where you go into doctor's offices now and they might have one of those silly things on the wall, like, you know, um, I didn't do eight years of medical school, so you could go on Google and look something up or whatever. And that kind of characterizes the, the dichotomy that exists between the two. But if we, you know, if we understand how influential money is to everything downstream of it and the institutions and how they're governed and how authority gets is maintained or is established, maintained and propagated, then it's really easy to appreciate that a lot of blind spots can emerge as a result of that kind of a system. And when it's applied to something as important as the medical system, where blind spots are literally, literally the difference between life and death, as you said, I mean, like if intubating people is, has like a nine, nine out of 10 failure rate, maybe we should be looking at alternative standards of care or treatment, but if it's already got the momentum, if it's already got the sign off from the institutions, if it's already got the seal of approval from the CDC or what have you, then you literally have pretty much no recourse or very little, or it's very difficult to pursue a different course of action. And this is part of the reason why I think why, well, Bitcoiners begin to realize like, wow, everything needs to be reconsidered because of how influential the base layer value exchange system is you know the base layer monetary system and the institutions that develop on top of it uh there's so much of a there's such an intimate connection and influence between from from one to the other and uh so yeah i mean two questions i have for you right off the bat mm -hmm. is what what was uh 
you know, your job like during COVID? Like, was it really as kind of gnarly and crazy as, uh, you know, certain media reports seem to suggest? And then, you know, given your closeness to it, what other ways do you see that the medical system has been corrupted by, you know, the fiat money and the fiat system that from which it emerged? Well, I mean, I would say it was pretty hectic, you know, but um, it, it was stressful and it was emotionally difficult because, um, you know, you're literally trying to save people's lives doing CPR more frequently than, than usual. Um, a lot of the times it ends up in, in death. And if it doesn't end up in death, it usually ends up in a really poor lifestyle, which is, you know, a very poor quality of life, which is, you know, another aspect of the system where they kind of keep you, they keep you alive, but they never, you're never really healthy. You're never, so obviously this is at, at, at a more critical stage, but if you start going back, you can see that it can start with a blood pressure medication. Maybe that was the first medication you took. And then that took you down the line of, you know, which added more medications, more problems. So, I mean, to answer your first question, I would say, yes, it was very stressful. You know, 12 hour shifts, um, hospital asking you to stay a few hours more if you can, people quitting, um, high turnover rate. So they wanted you to do, you know, instead of your three shifts a week, if you could do four, five, six, if you needed a day off, which was your day to work and you wanted to take that day off because you needed to do something, you know, whatever it may be, um, they were very reluctant and sometimes would get a little bit upset. So, you know, I would joke with my coworkers, you know, that we're, we're pretty much slaves here. And uh, I think it was something, it, it was good to realize it that way, you know, like, okay, we're, we're doing good. You know, they're putting a sign up there in the front of the hospital that says heroes work here, you know, and everybody eats that up and everybody loves it. I just felt like, you know, kind of kicking that sign every day. I walked past it because, right. um, you know, they don't really make you feel like heroes, but it's, it's convenient for us to think that so that we'll just keep on going, you know? Um, so you, you mentioned something about, you know, doctors not wanting you to seek information elsewhere. And there's a lot of that, like, you know, the tea example. And then something that along those lines that really impacted me also was the fact that me as a nurse, I could go in as many times as I needed a day, as long as I would put on a gown, face mask, goggles, hairnet for whatever reason. And, but no family members were allowed to come into the hospital. Mm. So I'm, so I would, I would ask, you know, why can we do this? And why can't we at least let some people in? I understand we're trying to control the spread, which is also, you know, questionable now in retrospect, even though it was also at the time. So that was another thing where you could start seeing how they were trying to control things. You know, you could see the control right there in the hospital. They didn't want to let people in. They didn't, you know, and then if you were to try, were to, try to argue with it a little bit, you know, hospital protocol, you couldn't really complain to anybody because these protocols come from people higher up, you know, and then that also made me think of, I, I also hear the term skin in the game 
when it comes to money and bankers and central bankers. And in medicine, we have a lot of people making these decisions who have no skin in the game, you know? Um, I think it was, you know, I think it was Dr. McCullough mentioning how, um, you know, a lot of these doctors haven't even seen a COVID patient even once. And they're, they're determining all these COVID um, policies. And so naturally, you know, if you don't have any skin in the game, we, you know, learning from, from money, it's, it's obvious that your, your decisions are going to be a little skewed. Your incentives are off because, you know, it's easy to make decisions when there's no, there's no repercussions for you. Mm. And then as with our monetary system, the repercussions are passed on to the people, right? Because everything is fixed with money printing and then we pay it through a loss of our um, purchasing power. And then in the medical system, you can see the same thing. You know, all these decisions, who pays for it? The patients end up paying for it. So that was another one of the things. There's, there's many, you know, but I, I don't want to just keep what are, on. What rambling. about like how much frustration was there for you guys on the front line? You've seen people come in. Well, one, how much perhaps the media narrative and the institutional narrative, CDC, what have you, diverge from like reality on the ground. Like you, you, you could probably clearly see like, well, the people that we are having to spend the most time treating and the people that we're losing are, have comorbidities. That's my impression, you know, much of the time. And that is not seemingly a big element of the media narrative that's putting out there and generating all this fear. And the second thing is, is like how frustrating, it, frustrating was it to see all these people come in and like realize that how come there isn't more early treatment protocols in place so that they don't even get to us so that, that we don't have to be overworked like this and we can actually help people, you know, help save lives. Like how frustrating was it that there was a, just a complete, you know, blackout on that whole conversation? I mean, to me, it was really frustrating, but in a strange way, another similarity with, you know, what happens sometimes with the Bitcoin community and altcoins, it seems hard to make people understand these things. So even the nurses and the doctors seem to be um, in this, you know, mass formation psychosis, like somebody coined that term, uh, Dr. Malone, it really did seem like that, like people just weren't being able to see what was in front of them because of everything they were hearing and seeing. And that was happening even with the nurses and the doctors. Mm. So you mentioned comorbidities from the get-go. It was very obvious that it wasn't just any comorbidity that was affecting people with COVID. Um, it was specifically like the trifecta, you know, diabetes, being overweight, and heart problems, whether it be you Which know, a any huge of portion of the population has. I mean, they're they're like the top, you know, they're 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 such a huge issue, you know, for health generally in most in a lot of populations these days, right? Yeah. If you add them up, I'm not sure. I know I did at one point, but if you add those three, which usually come in hand in hand, but it's more than half of the population has at least one of those. Mm. So when you're in the hospital and you're seeing that, you know basically everybody coming into the ICU had diabetes and was overweight. And then we would sometimes float to the other floors 
and you would see, you know, a 90 year old man who was very frail, maybe had kidney issues, dementia, um, you know, other issues. And just like that, they would, they would get better and they wouldn't have to go into the ICU. They would, they would do fine. So there was something there that for some reason we were ignoring. And uh, interestingly, talking about, um, you know, treatment, you know, prior to coming into the hospital, um, ivermectin, having my family and so many friends in Argentina, ivermectin was widely used. So, and it was being suppressed over there, mm -hmm. you know, in the US. And uh, hydroxychloroquine too, I remember one day all of a sudden, cold turkey, they said, no, we can't use it anymore. And then, you know, everybody's like, why? And we would ask the doctors, the residents, and they were like, well, you know, we don't know. There's, it's, you know, orders from above that apparently it causes heart issues. That's what they're saying, which is, just seems like the easy way out always, you know, oh, it apparently causes heart issues. Yeah, usually when people end up dying, they, their heart gives out, like that's what, so then even the cause of death can be, you know, um, cardiorespiratory failure. So it, it was just kind of weird, but honestly, um, there weren't many people questioning anything. And I remember several situations where I was urged to shut my mouth. <laughs> I was encouraged to stop asking questions um, and just kind of go with the flow. So it was very frustrating. It was frustrating to, you know, want to start conversations with my coworkers, with doctors, and, you know, you kind of start feeling like, am I crazy? Am I the only one who's seeing these things, who's questioning them? Mm. And then I guess in retrospect, I feel a little bit better because some things are starting to, to come out. And then it, it, it bears the question, like, you know, was it possible that we could have seen it before? Are these institutions, are these establishments, you know, all these ideas coming from above, blinding us from seeing, you know, these, these things that are right in front of us, you know? And again, going back to money, these things become very evident. They're not so hard to see. And, you know, Bitcoin can be very complex. And sometimes talking about these topics are very, you know, like mind blowing, but at the same time, it makes things in front of you simple. It's like, you know, that veil is lifted and you can start seeing things for what they are. Mm. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> well, <laughs> I agree. But I mean, this is why the worldview or the perspective that seems to be dawning and dawns on people when they, when Bitcoin clicks for them becomes so divergent and oftentimes creates friction with the dominant or the mainstream worldview because it's so antithetical, right? Because it's basically that, that perceptive filter is either different or it's lifted, but in both cases, whichever it may be. It, it generates a very different perception of reality, of society, of culture, of, of governance and all of those things. And so, you know, it seems inevitable that like, you know, there's conflict or tension there. And obviously we'll see how it plays out. But I mean, it, it, it's so obvious that when you, when you try to impose a singular perspective from a top-down authority upon a very dynamic system and complex system, it, the, the felt experience of that, whether we're talking about governance systems like, you know, communism, let's say, or whether we're talking about simply institutions of 
quote unquote knowledge pushing uh, dictates down through their organizations, it's going to feel like a tyranny because the dynamic system is trying to have order emerge from it, up from it. And that's the, the top-down authority is trying to impose order down from it, right? And so necessarily what it's going to feel like on those on whom the order is being imposed is a type of tyranny because it, it's saying, hey, the emergent order is wanting to try this, investigate this, broaden the perspective here, do all of these things to establish order. And the top-down order is prohibiting that from taking place. I mean, that's like very much the definition of tyranny, right? And it's, as you say, I mean, it seems so obvious. And I think a lot of people don't appreciate the degree to which their perspective and their worldview, like we all just default think that our perspective and worldview is reality, you know? And, and even no though doubt. there's so many different ways that you could easily challenge that, like and I use this one all the time and it's very, it's very oversimplified, but like the worldview that we more or less share and the one that like an Amazonian tribes person has is very different. Which one is more valid? Which one is more real? Well, the answer is obviously we try to adapt them for the environment in which we're acting, but it by no means means that like it's a perfect graft and that we're, we're, we're taking in all the relevant information and or taking in all the information, distilling it down to what's most relevant and then constructing a worldview as a result of that, because there's so many inputs that are influencing that worldview and that are that we have to try to sift through and parse to determine their relevance. You know, and of course, one of the major drawbacks or powers of mainstream media and the, the credibility, the assumed credibility and authority of government is that the people outsource that relevance determination to those institutions and say, okay, you tell me what's relevant and then I'll construct my worldview. But what ends up happening is you tell me what's relevant, you are determining my worldview, right? And then people carry that around as if one, they've constructed it themselves and two, as if it's valid. And it, it, it's such a dangerous thing because you, you can so easily leave out so much of what actually is relevant and, you know, another maybe over, oversimplified analogy is when you're watching a movie, right? So often, like if you sat down with a pen and paper and you watch some movie, like you could pick it apart. You could pick apart the reasons why the narrative shouldn't work or make sense and why the whole thing should be discounted as a result. But you don't because you're drawn in by the things that they show you, not what they don't show you. You're not considering that stuff. You're considering why what they've shown you kind of fits and makes sense and and plays along in the, in the story or narrative that they're, they're showing you. And of course it's evocative and it draws you in and you get emotional about it and everything, mm. but like, you're not considering what's left out. And, and, you know, another thing I like to do when I'm watching a movie and sometimes it ruins the experience entirely is I try to like take the frame of, of the shot and zoom out a hundred feet. And like, if you do that, you see the lights and the cameras and the directors and the, you know, all the gear around it. You're like, wow, this is absurd. You know, these people are just on some kind of a set and there's all these people around. But you, if you, if you bring the frame in, if you narrow the frame enough, it becomes reality. It becomes believable. And, you know, that's probably a decent metaphor for how these institutions operate. If they narrow the frame of information enough, it becomes believable. Once you broaden it, right? And, and Bitcoin can help you broaden it, or, you know, there's other methods that can help you broaden your perspective. Well, then it, it seems more absurd 
to narrow it to that degree that it's been narrowed by people other than yourself usually. And that's why it's such a tragic, or it, it's, it's even more tragic when it's applied to the medical industry. Because as we've been discussing, I mean, there are so many other ways that you might approach these problems, which may lead to better health outcomes and less death than otherwise. But because it's been narrowed to such a degree, and in the, the environment we're in today, not only has it been narrowed by those authorities, but those same authorities and others are prohibiting people from broadening the, the, the frame, censoring people, deplatforming people, shut the fuck up, don't say anything other than what we're saying is true. And don't even think about like investigating them or trying them, you know, the very science that you hold up all the time. Don't even think about doing that because what we said is, is right and true and nothing else is. And of course, you know, of course, that's going to lead to such tragic outcomes. And I think once we look back on this COVID, this COVID experience, whether it was, it's 5, 10, 50 years from now, that's going to be so obvious. And again, like so oftentimes in history, everyone studying it at that time is going to wonder, how could they be so stupid? How, how could they have done it this way? How come nobody chimed up and said, hey, guys, like this seems like a really bad approach. Why don't we try something different? You know, and that's that's one of the tragedies of history, right? We don't ever seem to be able to, we seem to think that because the, the circumstance and the scenario is not exactly the same, that the underlying lessons or the underlying psychology or the underlying problems that generate the circumstance are somehow like incomparable as well, when oftentimes they're very similar. And we, if we looked at it that way, we could probably learn a few things and avoid some of those pitfalls as, as we move forward. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So much to, to comment on what you just said, but uh, I, I agree. Um, something I, I find interesting too, is that we could, you know, maybe like you're saying, zoom in on something, which in this case could be Bitcoin or health, or maybe zoom in on a concept that we find to be, true right but something i think people discount sometimes is the fact that in the media or you know the government there's intentional lies there's intentional deceit um we could argue to what extent right but i think that's that's also a point not only are there are they trying to focus you in on something but that thing that they're focusing you in on is not necessarily true so whatever the topic may be, health, money, education, anything, I think if somebody's not in, you know, somebody's telling you to not look at other things, don't look at that, don't listen to this, you know, that can already kind of make you doubt a little bit. And I, I would hope it'll start making people that much more curious when they see this behavior. Like I was saying earlier, you start seeing these things everywhere. And anytime you see that behavior, you know, it's kind of fishy. Maybe I'll look into it and uh, make my make up my mind for my for myself. You know. Yeah, sure. I mean, but this is the whole thing, right? Authorities don't like it when you think for yourself. And I I think toward the 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 conversation about malice versus incompetence. I mean, of course, I agree with you. There's there's interest. Uh, there's very powerful interests and them pursuing their interests and incentives 
at the expense of, let's say, yours and mine, from our perspective, seems like malice. Maybe from theirs, it's just a lack of compassion or empathy or something like that. And at a certain point, you have to say, well, that, that may be the case, but are you aware of the impact of your actions on other people? And if the answer is even close to yes, well, then you have to ascribe some degree of malice to the people that continue to pursue those actions. But that being said, I mean, I think incompetence uh, plays a lot more effectively in our world today, because you know, maybe generally speaking, we could say that in a, in a more secular world, the good versus evil dynamic doesn't play as much because people don't buy into those concepts as much as perhaps they did previously. But in, in, the, in what is presumed to be, and obviously there's many, I, you know, I, I very critical of the, this presumption, but what's presumed to be a highly scientific, scientific, rational, logical world, then incompetence is almost a more damning accusation because this is how we hold ourselves up. Like, we're advanced and we're modern because of our intellect, because we're so rational and scientific. And so I think, and, and the, I, I guess the other piece of that is that it's really difficult to prove someone's intentions. So it's, it's, it's difficult to prove somebody evil, but we, it's a lot easier to prove somebody incompetent. So as far as like, whatever we can do to push back on this narrow narrative, I think our efforts are best placed in pointing out incompetence rather than evil because the, the former can be proven and, and highlighted, whereas the latter is much more difficult to do so. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, that's probably more a, a belief of mine. I'll clarify the fact that there is malintent in some situations. I feel like at the end of the day, we can talk about it being you know, um, intentional, intentional or not, but I don't think it really makes a difference, perhaps, to, to, the, to the point of, of not being affected by the situation, right? The truth is, if you look at the situation, you'll be able to see that something's wrong, regardless of it being with, you know, wrong intent or not. So um, even, even then, I think it's important to investigate, to verify, you know, to verify these things. And make our own decisions because we don't know on the, uh, the information when we're receiving it, we don't know the intention, we don't know the incentives. Mm. So, so yeah, I, I do agree with you though, to make a, a better impact, not take it to the realm of, of malice. I think that's what so many of us in, in Bitcoin land feel. It's like, and especially over the last week with everything going on with Russia mm. and Ukraine, I mean, it's just another level of the same stuff, but it's like, I don't know what to think or feel about all this. Like I, I, I know that there's so many uh, motivations and motives and players and, and things involved that are not on the surface. And so like, it's impossible for me to develop like a, a granular understanding. I can generally say like, I'm pro-life and pro-peace and anti-war and anti-death. And like that helps you navigate to a certain degree. But, so, but this is what we were saying about the media. It's like so many people are so easily, they, they feel so convicted in the worldview that's granted them or programmed into them by the media that no matter what pops off in any place in the world, all they need is a few, you know, a few comments on the news and they feel like they got it sorted. And as a result of that, they, they dictate and determine their action by that worldview. And that's why we're in this mess, you know, in the mess that we are in, in, in many different domains of life 
because people so easily, as you were saying at the beginning, like they don't, they do trust and they don't verify and they just assume like, oh, well, the answer, the simple answer that's been offered up is, is the full and total and right answer. And so I'm going to integrate that and that's going to become who I am and how I act and respond to things. And it's, I mean, it's so absurd and it speaks to how easily people are manipulated. And when people are so easily manipulated like that, of course, you got to expect bad outcomes because people aren't thinking for themselves. They're not thinking rationally. They're not thinking about the whole picture. And, you know, this is why a lot of us just abstain from an opinion. Like if you ask me what my opinion on what's happening in Russia and Ukraine is right now, like, again, I'm, I'm pro-peace, I'm anti-war, but I don't know what's going on there. I don't know, like, I have no I idea know the geopolitics <laughs> of the place. I don't know how long what's been brewing there has been brewing. Like I know a bit about the history of Russia and Ukraine and you know, going back thousands of years, but all the geopolitical NATO, US, all this stuff over the last several decades, like who the hell knows what's really going on? So I condemn violence and war, right? And I want peace, but beyond that, who knows? And so, so many of us now, and I've been talking about this quite a bit lately, it's like, we have to, the signal has been so corrupted, like the signal that, again, primarily on the foundation of corrupt money and a corrupt value signal, the signal that all the signals that emerge from that in media and information and politics and everything is similarly corrupted as a result. And I can't trust any of them. So until we have a foundation that generates a more pristine, trustable signal, i.e. an incorruptible money layer at the bottom of everything, then I'm pretty much going to abstain from having too strong of an opinion on most things because I don't trust most of the signal that's coming from that, that that's reaching me. And, you know, like we're, it's, it would be a full-time job to parse any of it, to have any degree of certainty, really. And this, this is why what's happened with COVID is so egregious too, because I mean, at the very, at the very least, you, you have to be able to say that, right? You have, to be, you have to be able to abstain. As crazy as everything gets, you could say, hey, look, I think you guys have a distorted perspective on all this. And as a result, you're pursuing the wrong actions to rectify this problem. But your prerogative, knock yourself out, you know, booster shots until, you know, for the next 80 years or intubate or whatever it is, right? Like knock yourself out if, 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 if that's what you want to do. But we've gotten into a place now where now you can't abstain. If you abstain, you're canceled, you're shut out from society, you're fired, you're like all of these things to try to coerce you and force you to do what the dominant worldview wants you to do. And that's the slipperiest of slopes because then you, I mean, you can't engage in your worldview. You can't, you can't exercise your right to say like, I don't agree with what's happening and therefore not for me. It's imposed on you. And I mean, that's pretty much the highest form of tyranny that there is, right? And so, I mean, that's, that's, again, back to the point about Bitcoiners being so kind of disagreeable, or at least seemingly so. I think it's largely because we realize that every, we can't trust a lot of the signals coming at us and that we have to kind of slowly recapitulate everything in society and in many cases build back the trust on a, sol a more solid foundation. And that's going to take time. So in the meantime, I'm not, you know, like, leave me alone and I'm... <laughs> I'm not going to believe anything just because you tell it to me. I'm going to decide for myself. And that is like an insanely controversial position to take in, in this day and age.
Yeah, and like you can't even say one thing without it being misinterpreted. And oh, so you're pro Russia? Like I've been seeing a lot of right. that on Twitter too, and people just misinterpret. And and I've kind of been abstaining too, you know, because we get sucked into these non-topics, like these non-issues, which obviously, you know, it is an issue. Obviously, that the war is an issue, but what are we going to fix talking about it, picking sides? Like, are we going to actually do something about it? Um, which again, as Bitcoiners, I think we all feel like we are doing something about it just by using the most, like the only incorruptible money we've ever had. Um, but I agree with you, you know, the signals, which is, you know, going back to health is another thing. Um, I like, I think it's Jeff Booth who says, um, when you have corruption in the base layer of money, you know, everything after it is, is also going to be corrupt and the signals are distorted. So if we go back to, to health in terms of signals, um, the signals are distorted as well. So in health, what are the signals? Signals we have are, you know, symptoms, right? Like if we're starting, if our health is starting to be affected, that's the signal our body is sending us. So like in the real world, we've become disconnected from these signals. With health, we're disconnected from them. And not only that, we're actively suppressing them. We're blocking them, right? Um, I have a little bit of pain. Oh, let me take a pain medication. I don't like mm. pain. Right? Yeah, nobody likes pain, but maybe we should, you know, why do I have this pain? You know, just ask why, or why is my blood pressure going up? What, what can I change? So... Again, I think that that distortion inevitably comes from the corruption in the base layer of money where these decisions are being made based off of the incentive of money, right? I'll sell you this medication, I'll sell you this procedure, this intervention, and then people, even more in health, people have that, you know, people don't think that they're going to have people lie to them when it comes to health, right? Nobody's that mad nobody's so insane that they would lie in topics surrounding health why would anybody want to harm my health mm. so and then you know people come to nurses or doctors and and you know they like you can see it in their eyes sometimes like they're listening to you like what you're saying is is the holy word and then yeah. i i even try to sometimes tell patients you know like this is my opinion and you know and i'll even clarify to them the hospital and medicine in general may think differently. This is what I think, you know, you should try to, you know, this is just my, my professional recommendation. I want you to decide. So that was usually my, uh, my advice, but uh, going back to the signals, you know, doctors and nurses, regardless of them having a good intention, we all want to heal. We all got into this because we want to heal and help people. But sometimes it's hard to realize that what we're being taught to teach to, to, to our patients is corrupted by, by other interests, but usually is, is money. It all boils down to money. And uh, yeah, I think sometimes it's hard for people to really grasp the extent of, of these of these problems, you know, of, of these manipulations, of these incentives. And, you know, even in school, they don't really teach us much about these things, which is also, you know, um, 
also mo most people don't think about that like do you really believe absolutely everything you're being taught in school just because you went to university is it all true should you maybe be questioning um do you find it interesting that they don't teach us the the fda approval process we don't talk about the fda we don't talk about all these bodies that regulate our work you know and if you don't go and search for it on your own you're completely oblivious to all these things and and yeah you think that you're you know everything you're telling your patient which you know you kind of just read it in a book over here and repeated it over here that that was the best advice you could have given because you know it, it comes from i don't know years and years of science which wasn't corrupted at any point along the way you know yeah. we have to we have to wake up a little bit and just you know again uh verify <laughs> yeah well i mean it's a tale as old as time right i mean wasn't socrates accused of corrupting the youth of athens you know basically asking them to question mm -hmm. you know the authority that was was prevailing at the time and what they do to him they fucking execute him for it. yeah exactly and so I, there's a huge component of of the money and bitcoin introduces um an incentive structure that is unprecedented and so i think that's part of the reason why we're also excited about it but in many mm. respects i mean the reason why the incentives are so important is because that view that frame narrowing that we were talking about before i mean that's mm -hmm. what that's what incentives do and they should right like if you think about it in a natural context like an organism be it a cell or an animal or whatever like they're going to conform to the incentives that deliver them pleasure or success and they're going to uh develop a, res a resiliency or, or response to disincentives, you know, that cause them pain or, or lack of success. And so like, it's highly rational. The problem is, is when you allow the incentives to be manipulated, but ma manipulated through a corrupt money and all the corrupt institutions that that permits, well, then you have a narrowing that's not zo like uh, zooming in on or targeting what is true. It's targeting the incentives of the people that, that, are, that have the power to manipulate it. And so I agree with you that like, there's a lot of perverse incentive throughout society as we've been discussing with particularly in medicine, right? Because now the incentives are, well, you know, to, to get as many uh, customers as possible and to treat them as long as possible and, you know, not to cure them, for example. So like, you know, would you rather have a pill that people can take for 50 years and it costs them a thousand bucks a year? or, you know, or in many cases, a lot more or a cure that that's a one-time payment of 10 grand or something like that. And, you know, obviously you're going to pick the, the former. And so like all of these perverse incentives work their way in. And then over time, the, this like false landscape of, of incentives are literally forming the people who they're acting on, which is why we see all these people who, like you said, like if they feel a pain or if they're not feeling optimized health or whatever, like they're being trained to put out their hand for the pill, just like the mice in the cage and the cocaine and all that kind of stuff. Like that's mm -hmm. what the incentives Sugar. are shaping them to be. And, and because the, and for the very reason that that false incentive landscape has been able to arise or form around them without it, they would have a different incentive landscape to deal with. And that would, of course, generate different behavior. And that different behavior would generate a different physiological organism, you know, and they'd be very different. And so, you know, one of those ways, obviously, in Bitcoin is like one, one of the primary incentives is taking more control of 
your finances, right? Having a money that allows you to establish a greater degree of sovereignty than ever before. And then of course, what do you know? A lot of Bitcoiners end up saying like, well, in what areas of my life am I not taking that degree of responsibility? Like I want like that degree of sovereignty and responsibility feels really good and it feels powerful. And now I'm kind of illuminated to the value of it. Okay, well, where am I kind of abdicating that responsibility elsewhere? Oh, my, my health and my diet? Sure. Oh, my, you know, dependency on infrastructure of various kinds? Oh, my over-trusting, uh, you know, my over, uh, too, too, much, too trusting of like institutions of information and media and governance and politics and stuff like that. And you just end up doing that because now your incentive structure has shifted. You've aligned yourself with a different incentive structure and the, the culture and community growing up around that bedrock incentive generator that is Bitcoin is also a manifestation of that. So now as we develop our behavior and, and our worldview, the incentives that act on us aren't, aren't just, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of the protocol, let's say, but it's the other people that are emerging around it and they're helping us conform and manipulate our behavior to be more aligned with those more truthful incentives. So, but, but it speaks to the insidious nature of how manipulated incentives and false incentives that don't cohere with, with let you know truth or reality as much, how how in convincing they can be, right? They're, they operate beneath the surface, and that's why you wind up with you know clown world where we have today, where so many people are, you know, obese and unhealthy, and have terrible lifestyles, and their mental health is a crisis. And they and the response that's given to them, and which they unfortunately, you know, have seemingly no choice but to accept, is take this pill, have this surgery, do this thing, do what we told you here, here, here. Like it's just a complete, complete antithesis to what it is to to think for yourself and try to determine what those true incentives are and to align with them as best as possible. You know, and so yeah. we're real, we're really. You know, we're really coming out of the mud here with this whole yeah, uh, Bitcoin we're trying. thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then obviously searching and finding and verifying, it's not an easy process, you know, it, it and you have to have a certain degree of like, I guess, self, self-worth. You have to trust yourself. You have to realize that you're a, you're a valuable person and that you're, you know, you're, you have the capacity, the ability to be smart, to make decisions for your own self and that those decisions can be beneficial to you, you know, despite the fact that maybe you're going against what everybody else is doing, which mm -hmm. I think is, a, is difficult for some people sometimes, you know, because they see everybody going left and they go right. And it's like, am I going, am I, is this right? You know, and it's, it's difficult and you have to, you have to be sure of yourself. And I think, yeah, once, once you see it, you know, Bitcoin opens your, your eyes to all these things. Once you start seeing it, then it becomes easier to, you know, you went against the grain once and then you're like, oh, this, this actually worked. This is good for me and for my family and for, you know, just everything. So I'm going to try it over here too. You know, because I have the willpower and, and I'm, you know, I'm not afraid of doing it. I'm going to do it. And then even if people call me, you know, anti-vax or they call me conspiracy theorists or, you know, somebody yells at me on the street because I don't have my mask on, you know, I can brush it off and, and you know, continue. Um, so, 
searching for these things and achieving that level maybe of you know of confidence is is a process you know and obviously we're always learning until the day we die that doesn't mean we, we know everything and like you said with russia and ukraine we don't you're, you don't try to act like you know everything i don't either i don't really know what's going on we may have our ideas but we're always searching um but going back to the point of how people just are very quick to you know in general in terms of health try to suppress discomfort you know whether it be pain or you know, uh, like the flu or a headache, nausea, vomiting, anything that feels nasty, we just want to get rid of it right away. Mm. And so we're kind of used to that. You know, we're not used to delaying gratification. We're used to having everything right now. And again, we go back to money and you can see very clearly where that, you know, psychological aspect comes from. It comes from, from our money and you know, the fact that we, we don't have money, but we want to go buy something, boom, I just swipe my credit card and I'll pay for it tomorrow. And then, you know, when tomorrow comes around, you know, maybe I don't have the money and then I'll do it again. And then it just becomes this, this issue. And that's, that's essentially what happens with health too. You know, we're always, you know, every decision we make based on our health is, is essentially a bargain in the future, you know, we can decide to, you know, go to sleep early today and wake up early tomorrow and, and work and then, you know, make some progress in my life or go out and party and then the next day be tired and sleep all day and obviously it takes a toll on my body. And so, so we're con we end up being conditioned through the money to just want everything to be solved right away. And we, we don't realize that we're compounding the problems like we're solving a problem not with a solution we're solving it with a with a bigger problem which going back to uh to what you said about malice or malpractice you know since they're all tiny issues that add up over time in retrospect it's easy to say you know we didn't know we didn't realize it because it's hard to pinpoint one thing you can't pinpoint one thing it's it ends up being many decisions that led to to an issue or led to something good or led to something bad um so again there's the the money teaches us a lot about about our health and teaches us that you know maybe our processes should be with a lower time preference you know and and sometimes just deal with whatever issue we're dealing with and and not try to fix it right away with something that may not be the best solution, right? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think a huge aspect of this, and you know, maybe if we want to be less complimentary, we can say stubbornness or disagreeableness, mm -hmm. but I think a, a large degree is courage, you know, for a lot of early people that are taking this approach. Because it's not, it's not always easy to not conform, especially in this day and age where you're literally being coerced and forced to conform. Some people have to move countries, leave loved ones, like it, it, there's a lot involved in you being the final arbiter of what you think is rational and logical and right. And, and having the conviction and courage to do that. And I think that's largely represented in the Bitcoin community. There's a self-selection for it. And then there's yeah. also a, there's a, also an inspiration for it. And, you know, as you said, once, once you begin to see how all this is connected, once you begin to see what Bitcoin allows for, for the first time, and the degree of 
responsibility and ownership that it instills, well, then it's about stacking those things on top of each other. Like, okay, like where else in my life can I take more responsibility so that I can feel more empowered? You know, and this is the, the hilarious situation that befalls clown world. Like you have all these people talking about empowerment, but as you say, what they're doing to, uh, you know, particularly politicians I'm referring to, what, what they're doing is they're doing what you said, which is they're, they're adding on a bigger problem. They're using a bigger problem to solve a smaller problem. And in the process, they're not empowering anybody. They're further incentivizing them to relinquish their power. And I think one of the phenomenons occurring in Bitcoin is this stacking process is leading to people becoming more powerfully integrated in themselves. Like they're, it's a genuine journey or process of discovery. Like people are really kind of changing who they are and their perspective and what they value as a result of being wrapped up in this phenomenon. And I think in a very, very positive way. And it's so early days that, you know, we're kind of just coming out of the cave. And as you said mm -hmm. before, we were never trained in school to like, question authority and develop your own perspective and you know all of these things that might allow you to engage in that process more easily or more naturally like we weren't really instructed in that it was like study these things take this test this is what it means this is what op opportunities open up to you as a result and now we're we're kind of remaking that we're saying like well what happens when you can the incentives are corrected and you can store your life force your energy in an inviolable sort of way and therefore you can take greater responsibility for yourself and therefore you can express your truth more you can express you can say what you really think and what you really feel and you don't have to be as concerned about the consequences because you're more and more and more sovereign and the, the it just it's such an intoxicating process i think for so many of us to shore up all these vulnerabilities and to become even more powerfully integrated within ourselves to try to achieve i don't know what right like it's too corny to say yeah a better version of myself a higher version of myself but like it's something like that right it's something like we're the initial cohort of people that seem to be uh conforming or leveraging something entirely new and what i think we would all agree is extremely beneficial and we're so wrapped up in the process that perhaps we can't stand back from it far enough to really get a grasp on what's going on. But at least we can say like, it, it, it feels very, you know, good and right to be engaged in it. And um, so I, you know, I, I think back to the point you're making courage is like, it's, it's a big part of this because when, when to, to say like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the final arbiter, regardless of how much mainstream bullshit you blast at me and, what you say about me and all this kind of stuff. Fuck you. I'm doing it. I'm doing it myself. You know, I'll, I'll decide for myself. Thank you very much. And it's a beautiful thing to see. It is. It is beautiful. And then, you know, I think we all, by saying that you naturally take accountability because you know, it could go wrong. Right. Right. I mean, at least that's what I think in, in the depth of my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm making this decision against everything. It may go wrong, but I'll listen to the feedback right? Which if, if the feedback tells me my decision was incorrect, then that is what naturally will keep adjusting me and guiding me towards my better self. You know, you have to, you have to test things out. You have to try it out. You can't just, you know, just be right on the first try. Um, 
So yeah, I, I was about to say something else and it kind of slipped my mind, but- uh, Well, I'll, I'll jump in on what you're just saying yeah, because I think about, think about it a lot. It's not like, it's not even just we are taking in all this signal information and we're trying to parse it to move ourselves through space and time better. But like all of this willingness to accept data and then trying to, what we're doing, we're, we're trying to determine the most truthful filter by which to interpret all that data. So it's not like a static us becoming increasingly better at moving through the world, but like we're the, the us that is our perspective and, and data filter, the reason like our willingness to be open to these things and to have an open mind and to not, you know, dogmatically trust authority is so that we can over time increasingly improve the, 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 the fit of the filter that we have with the world that we're confronting and and furthermore the one that we want to exist you know and so all the data we take in is very much changing us as a that that's the process rather than just us using the data to move through things differently and right you know and so when i say something like uh you know fuck you i mean obviously i'm being somewhat playful and like that's an attitude you almost have to develop in order to resist the forces that would seek to conform you to a pre-existing and static perceptive filter. And it's saying, no, like I'm not, I'm not averse to data and information. I listen to a hell of a lot of it, but I'm going to be the one that, that plays with it to try to construct an ever more effective filter for achieving my ends and for building the world that I want to see, you know, and, and my own ambitions for myself. And, you know, it's, it's almost crazy that that like requires a certain courage as it does today, but this is how far we've gone away from that process as a global culture, let's say. Yeah. And I think um, implicitly we all, you know, most of us in Bitcoin agree that what we want is a better world as, as a, as an ultimate goal. And I think, I feel that most of us kind of base that off the idea that you know, being the best version of yourself, can you then start to create the best world? You know, you can't, you have to be the best version of yourself. And I think that's why you and some other people tend to equate Bitcoin to God and religion, because I was raised Christian, at least in Christianity, which is what I can speak uh, of more confidently. Um, the whole I don't know if the whole point of it, but is, is to perfect your character. That, that's the, the idea is to create a better version of yourself. So when you said, you know, this, this corny idea, I, I, you know, I don't think it's corny. I, I know you're, you're saying in a playful manner, but it's, it's probably one of the deepest things we can aspire to in our life is to perfect our, our, our character to then, you know, be able to offer our best version to the world. And then obviously we all know that things rub off on each other. So we, you know, the people we hang out with. So I like to think that despite the fact that sometimes we're maybe a little misunderstood or people may think we're a little rough around the edges because we're very, you know, focused and we know what is right or wrong to us, despite the fact that other people may agree with it or not. Um, I like to think that we're, we're rubbing off on people a little bit, you know, and I think, also, that's the point of this podcast, right, is, is sharing, reaching out to people, sharing this, this uh, message that, that's so deep to us. And um, just, 
I remember what I was going to say before, which now it may seem a little detached from what we were talking about. But when we, you were talking about courage, um, I don't think I knew it at the time. Um, I, I don't think I mentioned it to you before either, but I, I pretty much um, quit my job as a nurse. Like I quit my profession as a nurse. Um, I decided not to go back to nursing. I, um, I stopped working at one point to be closer to my family uh, here in Argentina. And with the plan of going back to the US and then, you know, just kind of starting with a clean slate because I was a little burnt out from, from the whole ICU COVID uh, scenario. Then I spent a couple of months here and I realized I didn't want to go back. I realized, you know, I, did, I didn't want to be a, a nurse. And, you know, um, during my journey in Bitcoin, I learned about the sunk cost fallacy, you know, and just because I, I put four, five, six years into nursing doesn't mean I have to continue in something that, that I, I don't feel fulfilled in. And which I, I felt overall even though I was going with good intentions of trying to heal people and teach people, you know, the medical system was not helping me do that. I, I felt like I was feeding a monster that in the balance overall was doing more harm than good, which again, equating it to Bitcoin, we, we decide, you know, of course we'd want to change the system. We'd like to change the financial system. People always tell me, Oh, Stefan, you know, you're not going to be able to change the system. I'm like, well, okay, well, then I opt out, you know, like, see ya, like, I don't, I don't want to be a part of this. But obviously, that takes a lot of, I think it takes a lot of courage. And at the time, I don't know, I, I guess I didn't, I didn't really realize it, it didn't feel that way. But, but whenever I read, like on Twitter, or something, people expressing that, you know, oh, I quit my job. And now I'm, I'm dedicating my time full to Bitcoin. I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, you know, like, fuck yeah, like, hell yeah, like, I love that, because, <laughs> because they're separating themselves from something that's that's bad for everybody else and it's primordially bad for them and so naturally it's going to end up being bad for everybody else but you know that's that's another concept which i think is hard for people to grasp you know that you know the 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 proverbial i'm just doing my job you know like which you hear a lot of policemen say it nowadays um you know i can think back to maybe 1940s where it was said quite a bit around germany which people don't like that comparison to nazi germany because it seems so far-fetched mm. but there are a lot of similarities and obviously that didn't happen you know overnight it took a while it started you know slowly and then it developed into something so whenever i see people have the courage to kind of just separate themselves from these things and not say oh hey i'm just doing my job and you know maybe separate themselves from from something that's that's doing them harm and consequently you know doing harm to other people you know i uh i love that and i just i don't really see that happening outside of the bitcoin community i see people that are so you know fed up with their job or they're stressed you know they they hate their job they don't like it but but they keep doing it day in and day out and then again we go back to the money obviously it, you know, it's, it's hard to just stop. And then what do you do? How do you provide? How do you? So then, you know, um, I think Bitcoin can offer that, that foundation to where people can have that, that security, you know, to take a step aside and, and start something new, knowing that, you know, their, their purchasing power isn't going to be eroded day after day. And that, 
they can know truthfully and convinced that there's something better on the other side. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's going to be better, you know? So I guess I just want, if, you know, I want to motivate people if, if they're on the fence um, to take the leap, you know, because it's, it's obvious that it's going to be better on the other side because you're, we're participating in something so corrupt. It can only get better. Yeah. I totally agree with all that. And this goes back to the point we were making about that feeling of empowerment, right? It's like before Bitcoin, you know, like you said, like I was just doing my job or I don't feel like I can make such a dramatic change or what's going to happen if I do this or the sunk cost of, you know, all these, all those things you mentioned, but when you have, and we won't, we don't even have to get into all the reasons beyond the ones we have already, why you get that feeling of impairment, empowerment, but just to say that so many people do that eventually, you know, they come to a point where they say, nope, like I disagree with this course of action. I don't know exactly what lies on the other side of this decision. But as you said, I know it's almost certainly better than the current course of action. So I'm going to take that leap of faith. And again, like this, I, I, there's so many convergences between, so many. you know, religious, religious thought and faith in Bitcoin. And here's another reason why you take this leap of faith to conform further to uh, this thing, you know, this thing that's able to give you a sense of empowerment, able to support your life and give you security, is able to allow you to connect with other like-minded people and a and a culture that you want to be more involved in. And as a result of that, are more able to access your potential and all the energy wrapped up in that because you're engaged and you're enthusiastic and you're stimulated and you're hopeful and you want to see that the, the results of your, your work now, rather than almost being like discouraged by the fact that you see the, the, the results of your work. Again, like I'm painting in broad brushstrokes here, but yeah. I, I think that's generally what's taking place. And so uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I, it's an incredible process that's taking place. And, and the, the more people see it, well, the more people that, that see it, the better, because part of the reason why I think a lot of people don't change course and don't speak up, as you said, is like, they just feel like it's, it's the costs of doing so are too great. You know, maybe there's a lot of people out there that, you know, in their heart of hearts think like, well, this isn't right, or we should be doing something else. But man, I mean, if I speak up, I'm destitute. I'm on the street. I can't put a roof over my head, right? But once you get that that feeling of like, oh no, like I, it won't be disastrous if I actually speak my truth, if I actually speak my mind, if I actually speak up. Like there is another means, and there's another potential course of action that is not a road to disaster and ruin. Well, you know, the the more you think about it, the more it becomes clear, and the more you engage the the, the thing that empowers you to do that, i.e., you know, Bitcoin, I think the more emboldened you get, you know, and as you said, what do you know, like, this is something I've always been um, kind of, you know, chuffed about is that anytime you like Bitcoin kind of enters a new area of price action, right, whether it was mm -hmm. like going from the, the three to 500s to the 3000 area, or whether it's, you know, if we're in the 30 to 50 now, like, with every five, 10 K solid long-term increase in price, how many people did that set free, right? How many people did that hmm. embolden to say, wow, yeah. not doing the shit stuff anymore, not doing the things that I don't believe in, not doing the things that drain me of my energy and cause me to be a version of myself that I don't even fucking like. And now I'm going to pursue 
the, you know, the unknown for sure, because, you know, I don't know what exactly I'm going to pursue, but I know that directionally and like morally, it's a better direction. And I know that's going to satisfy me more. I know that's going to, you know, allow me to be more engaged and I have a faith that it's going to work out. And so I'm going to go ahead and do it. And I can, I'm not going to be destitute, at least not immediately by taking that <laughs> risk and making that choice. And that's how, that's how things change, right? People do that and they do that and they do that and more and more and more and more until it becomes easier to make that leap, right? Like once Bitcoin is a $10 trillion circular economy, well then if you're dissatisfied in Normie land and clown world <laughs> in what you're doing and you have a skill set, you have a, a, a means of providing some kind of value, well, why don't I just join this other economy? It seems like people are a lot happier there. It seems like things make a lot more sense over there. The opportunity is tremendous. So why not, right? The decision to, to leap is going to become easier and easier as time goes by. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, the competition, I mean, we're not competing against something very difficult, right? The old fan, the fiat <laughs> world, as I guess safety describes it, at least I heard it from him first. But, you know, the, the, the grasp on the narrative on people through money is just right now is so so strong that it's it's still you know it, it's it's hard i mean i'm sure it happens to you too i've you know ever since i came back to argentina i've made it my goal to just orange pill people as much as i can and you know sometimes they're like oh dude like oh you, you only talk about bitcoin well we're like all right well we can talk about something else but i, I assure you it's not going to be as important um but you know in a joking in a joking manner but um yeah, I, I think inevitably it gives us hope for what's coming and, you know, just the assurance that things will get better on a personal level. And then from there on out, you know, whether it be, I mean, we'd like to orange pill the whole world, obviously, but if we can start with friends, families, and at least change their world, um, that's, that's awesome, you know, um, you know, I wanted to ask you something about, because I heard in one of your podcasts, you talked about psychedelics and um, natural, natural medicine. I think you had um, maybe just going off on, on a slight tangent that has to do with health. Obviously, I feel, feel like psychedelics, mushrooms mostly are like the, uh, the Bitcoin of medicine in a way, right? Like the, if that makes sense. I mean, I think you understand. Maybe people are like, what is, what is this guy talking about? But like, you know, um, it's, it's, a it's a medicine that, you know, just, yeah, it, it frees you from everything else and it, 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 it helps remove that veil and is a medicine that you don't need to constantly be taking to, to be healthy, right? Mm. Um, I know some people who have taken mushrooms maybe once, twice, it's there's studies on this too right it's it's been in like their top three most spiritual experiences in their life and you know it's been 20 30 years and they never went back it changed their life and they never had to consume mushrooms again so it's like it's so contradicting it's so you know contrary to the idea that we have in medicine and in health nowadays that it seems outrageous but uh but yeah, I guess I just, I, I wanted to talk about psychedelics a little bit. 
get yeah, your well, opinion I'm, on I'm, that. I'm always a willing participant in such discussions. But, <laughs> you know, back to what you were saying, I, I think that characterization of religion, I, I think you said something like the purpose is to like optimally refine one's character or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, in, in a piece that I wrote recently, I kind of termed it as like, basically, we're just, we're all trying to determine how best to engage reality. It's like, okay, we have consciousness, we have other people, and we have the natural world. How are we supposed to con- constitute that dynamic optimally, right? How should we act with, you know, how should we perceive ourselves? How should we act with one another? And how should we engage with the natural world? And like, you know, this is, this is kind of the story of civilization, trying to figure this and, and, and have this play out. And I think religion is a huge part of that. And as I've said many times now, I think in the modern era, like even though I don't personally right now ascribe to a singular faith, I think it's the height of arrogance and hubris. And of course, indicative and unsurprising of the type of world we live in today that it's been dismissed so haphazardly. Um, but, you know, to the, and then we looked at what we said about Bitcoin already and saying like, well, what's happening? Well, people are becoming more empowered and they're seeing things more clearly. And then they're, they're reconstituting who they are on a fundamental level, right? We, we talked about that, that kind of process of integrating yourself ever more truthfully and then having that be like and refining that filter by which you engage the world. So like that is a very religious thing happening as far as I can tell. Um, and then to psychedelics, what are psychedelics? But as you said, but a, a method of changing perspective, a method of lifting the veil, a method of seeing things from a different angle and a method of, uh, you know, having a different perspective on oneself, having a pr- different perspective on everybody else and, you know, perhaps even reality itself. And so like in all three domains, a very similar thing is happening. You're getting, you're getting a different perspective on things that you deem and in practice perhaps prove out to be more truthful and that is leading to an a more optimized life a more integrated self someone a perception and a person more capable of extracting the best in themselves and pushing it out into the world to to cooperate with others to build something better like again like mm-hmm. that's a very ten thousand feet sort of descriptor yeah. but um they like they fall into pretty much the same bucket as far as I can tell. Now, you know, you, people may say like, well, one is derived from here or one is derived from there. And those are maybe arguments that we'll never be able to, to, uh, to sort out because, you know, like if you believe that one is founded on the word of God and the other is just, you know, happenstance emergence of uh, the natural world, for example, the, they're kind of irreconcilable. But if we look at how they function, uh, and how people engage them rather than the theories perhaps that surround them they're very similar and and again what do you know like a lot of people develop a spirituality or a type of faith around the psychedelic experience for example like a lot of people in this day and age are spiritual but they're not religious right and like so or they do it around the traditional religious faith, which we all know well and what seems to be emerging is a similar approach to Bitcoin. And so what's going on? Like, why are these, why are the, the, why is the meaning that each of these pursuits once engaged in so powerful that it's having this type of transformative effect 
on people. That's what I've been trying to think about and, and write about a lot. It's like, you know, what, what really is going on here? And, and that's why I have had to borrow from the religious domain to try to make the appropriate analogies and metaphors to derive greater insight into Bitcoin and borrow from the psychedelic domain and my experiences there to try to see if there's any relevant connections. And, you know, I, I'm very much in the middle of that process, but like I've already said, I mean, it seems to be that there's a very relevant connection between them all and what process is occurring and what we're seeking from these uh, activities or ideas um, between them all, right? And I think you summed it up great. It's like, again, we could put more words on it, but broadly speaking, mm -hmm. we're trying to improve our character. We're trying to become more fit for the world that we're contending with and the, the world that we wish to actualize or, or manifest. I mean, what else could it be? <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think about these things a lot too. And um, I was, I was raised Seventh-day Adventist. So religion has been, you know, I went to Seventh-day Adventist uh, high school, college, you know, it's been a part of my life always. And then Lately, like you said, I've also just stopped describing to a religion. Obviously, I'm very spiritual, and all these teachings from, from my youth have, have stuck with me, and I think have given me a moral compass, no doubt. Um, so when whenever I hear any of your other podcasts on these topics, it's it's yeah, it's so mind-blowing. And it's hard to even like like put your finger on anything. It seems like everything is just so, so far above our heads. But I don't know. It, to me, it seems like the the thing that is in all of them is is truth. Like if I have to sum it up in in one word, it's like that's what what Bitcoin, what you know, we could say God or religion, um, nature. There's there's truth. Again, we can go back to the incentives and how the signals are distorted, but. The reason why they all seem to make sense in the same way is because they allow us to see things for what they really are. And I think that's, again, going back to health, it's, it's key. You know, you can't, you can't deny, I mean, you can deny, but it, it's in your own, you know, it's in your own benefit to not deny things and to realize that, hey, maybe I should be doing this differently. You know, I need to see the truth. The truth is, you know, maybe my habits aren't healthy, you know, maybe um, I'm not making good decisions. So it's, you know, it's impossible to try to perfect your character if you're denying things, if you're denying things about yourself. So then, you know, again, we can go back to the financial system, how, you know, everything just seems to be denied, like central banks deny the fact that, you know, the, the robbing of purchasing power has to do with you know, the increment of, of the money base. And, you know, they'll make it seem like it's about this and that. And so then they're, they're already, you're, you're missing out on the truth. And then I guess sometimes we can debate what is the truth and we're, you know, we're seeking it. But at least in that case, it's, I think that's why learning about money and Bitcoin is so powerful because you learn that, that, that is the truth, that it's because it's being manipulated. So then, again, it just takes you to, to value truth, to value the fact that you're acknowledging the feedback, you're not denying it. Your symptoms, you're not denying your symptoms. You're not mm. saying, you know, 
oh, my, my stomach, you know, I had a whole pizza last night, but my stomach hurts because of, oh, I don't know, I'm just nervous or I'll just take some Pepto-Bismol. No, you know, like acknowledge the fact that it was really because of this, you know, try to change it. Um, and yeah, psychedelics, you're, you don't have a choice. Like you can't, you can't say, oh no, I don't want to look at my, I don't want to look at this. Cause once you start that journey, you have to look at everything. Mm. And the beautiful thing about it is that, you know, at least for me, but I feel like it's kind of a common feeling. You see those nasty things about yourself, maybe about others, mostly about yourself though, right? You maybe even look at yourself in the mirror, you know, like, don't do that. But you look at yourself in the mirror and then you see these nasty things, but you see them with love. And then you're like, okay, you know, like, you know, maybe this is nasty about me, but, but that's okay. It's good that I saw it. It's good that it generated this feedback in me, this nasty feeling where I'm like, okay, I, I need to, I just need to change this. It's not going to be easy, but I, I need to work on it. Um, again, everything kind of converges right there. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. And the, the way that I've, you know, there's a lot wrapped up in the psychedelic experience and, you know, everyone has somewhat different experiences, but I agree that like part of the reason why I go back to that, well, not just the kind of to, to exist in the sort of ecstatic state or the present moment for a period of time, but it is the kind of clean house, right? If it's been a year or so, mm -hmm. You go in and you encounter uh, those things that maybe were kind of hiding in the darkness. And as you say, you can't really avoid them. So you're like, all right, well, let's do it. You know, and, and, and again, this is this is where the element of courage is applicable once again in, in another area of life. And because it, it I remember when it when the first time I had had one of these experiences and accidentally had a dose that delivers you this type of experience rather than, let's say, a more recreational one. And um, you know, all of that nasty stuff was taking on a, a form and, and coming at me like in a way that I just was overwhelming. <clears throat> and, you know, that my first response was like, tear off the t-shirt, growl and like, let's throw down, you know, like if you're <laughs> like this total com like combative sort of attitude, but it's so overwhelming that like, it's exhausting, even in that, like, mm. even in the mental domain, not just not the physiological. Um, and then I realized that, you know, and this will sound somewhat absurd to some, but I think, I think you'll appreciate it is the best way to engage what was overwhelming me was to project what I called at the time and still seems to work a loving curiosity. And for two reasons, the love aspect was disarming them right away, you know, and it, mm -hmm. as you were kind of hinting at, like, maybe this is being at odds with your, with yourself versus be versus loving yourself on a certain level, loving yourself enough to allow that integrative process to take place mo most optimally. And then the curiosity part was like, all right, I've gotten over the fear of you, you know, you're disarmed. What are you all about? Like, what are you trying to show me? What, what's it about? Like, I get it. I'm scared. You're scary. Like, let's move past that. What, why are you here? What, what do I need to look at? What are you a representative of? And, uh, you know, that, that, proved to be a tremendously beneficial perspective to have on uh, those experiences. And then one of the things that you said that I, I wanted to comment on was you said like all of these things are kind of revealing the value of truth, right? And I agree with that. 
But what also comes to mind is that they're also revealing like the truth of value, right? Part of maybe one of the common threads that connects all these things is that like when we spend a money that has no extraneous information, right? When it's a pristine communication, when we, when we quote unquote create value, when we act at all, we're expressing our values, right? So when we spend money or when we act or when we build or when we behave, anything we do is an express, expression of our values. And so it's not hard to understand why like the very means of doing that pristinely and the very means of representing that um, can be exemplified and showcased in something like Bitcoin, but also in the religious domain, because that's the domain that they're trying to, that, that's the domain that they're concerning themselves with, right? So that's an obvious connection between the two. And, uh, you know, your point earlier about a lot of people, especially this is more of a commentary on the distinction in between like kind of psychedelic spiritual people and religious people, um, is that I think you could apply don't trust verify to psychedelics, right? You're, you're, you're basically, you want to have a direct experience of the divine, or at least that's part of the, the argument and saying like, I don't want to trust whoever wrote what, whenever in history, I want to have a direct experience of, of the divine because that's most real for me. That's most truthful to me. I don't know what kind of untruths, what kind of perversions or other information is contained in who the hell wrote what, when. Uh, and, you know, like, I think that's a rational pursuit and particularly why it appeals to people today that are more, that are, have a, that type of a mind, let's say. Uh, but I would maybe counterbalance that by saying, I think you can verify the, the truths and the values in the religious domain, not by blindly following words written by someone in the past, but by actually taking the values that are represented in the narrative and the story and scripture and things like that and philosophies of religion and actually like, like a little microchip or like a program, putting them in you and testing them out, right? Because what do so many of these face, like, you know, there's so much bullshit, so much corruption. So I get why they've been criticized, right? But if you boil it all down, like brass tacks, a lot of these start like treat, you know, you're, you're, you're a divine form as are everybody else. The differences between you are mostly superficial, you know, love and truth and freedom are the primary values upon which a, a, a fulfilling life and a peaceful, prosperous collective or culture or society can be built. Like these seem to permeate a lot of these traditions, verify them by living out those principles by embodying those values, by having your behavior determined by them and see what happens. You know, that's the, that's the don't trust verify of uh, traditional religions, as far as I can tell. And I think if you do that, you come to appreciate the validity of a lot of them. Again, like you're warranted in, in dismissing how they've become corrupted and distorted over the years. But if you're able to parse all that and get to the get to the core of it, I think the enterprise of determining that, you know, the, the most valid values and principles by which to orient yourself and your perspective by, which has been the enterprise of religion for thousands of years, I think they've come up with some pretty good stuff. And you can verify that by your, for yourself 
by actually integrating it and living it. And, and again, you know, I think this is part of the reason why uh, they've reemerged in the awareness and consideration of a lot of Bitcoiners. Number one, because as we said at the beginning, like when your perspective changes so dramatically, you kind of have to look at everything again because you might have missed something before. And I think that's taking place. But I also think, you know, the meaning that's being derived from Bitcoin is is allowing people to more easily see similar meanings, similar values, similar principles in other places where they may be represented. And as a result, I think it's inevitable that, uh, you know, people look to religion to see what, if any, valuable insights, wisdom, principles, values can be derived. And it seems to me, and I know I'm like probably too deep in the weeds to be an objective, objective observer here, but it seems to me like that's happening to a lot of people. And my only caution, if I can be as like bold to make one, is, or at least I should say my approach, is not to jump the gun and conclude too early what's going on. Like, I don't want to just jump back in and say, oh, Christianity is not what I thought it was. It's way more valid. It's way more, it has, contains way more wisdom than I previously thought. I'm going to adopt it now as like my primary perspective or worldview or, or faith or belief system. I think we're at a, well, we are at a unique time in, an unprecedented time in history where, you know, a lot of new forces are involved, like a, a lot of new phenomena, let's say, Bitcoin being one of them. And I think perhaps it's not the case that we need to determine any of this explicitly. I think if we just continue to act and try to orient our behavior towards, you know, the best principles and values that we can. And this process that we've been discussing throughout this conversation is, is part of determining that, or maybe it's all of determining that, then it will naturally emerge, right? Like a, a, it will become clear that kind of system for engaging reality that we referred to a little while ago, it'll become clear, clearer and clearer over time what that is. And it's probably the case that it's a never ending process, right? As long as consciousness, human consciousness exists, it will always be evolving in that kind of a way. So maybe our task is not to come to a place where we think we've kind of nailed it down, but just continue to engage optimally in the process. And then if we want to sit back occasionally and try to articulate or describe like what it is that's taking place uh, explicitly, then I'm sure a lot of people will engage in that, uh, that behavior. Um, but I think, but I think we should delay the gratification of certainty and just be happy with engaging in an ongoing process that we think is most valid, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. And, um, you know, being raised in a religious environment, obviously, you're also encouraged to not seek information elsewhere, right? Like, um, just your religion and don't listen anywhere else. And um, Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin doesn't care about your gender, your religion, your race. So I think inevitably, you know, once you start to know Bitcoin, you start to not care about those things. Like you don't, maybe you don't even care about what nation state you're from. Like all these things are just labels. So then it naturally becomes easier to just see the good in everything without 
being like, oh, this, you know, it's that religion or this gender, this country, just like, like none of that matters. Like, like you said, you can look at all religions and see that they have some certain foundational beliefs that you can see across all of them. So um, like I had mentioned to you before, you know, when you start looking at different things, you see the patterns repeated. That's how I think you can know that there's something good and valuable there. Um, so yeah, just thinking what, what can come, I don't know, 50 years from now of this type of belief or ideology of just accepting and being curious and looking at spirituality through a different lens, maybe in a decentralized fashion, right? Which, you know, um, establishment seems to always get in the way, whether it be religion getting in the way of spirituality, education getting in the way of, you know, education of things you learn, government getting in the way of money. Like, so maybe this way over time, we'll have a direct, a direct line to these aspects without so much interference Mm. um with the freedom to think beyond you know beyond a certain box that we're put in and yeah um homo bitcoinicus may be you know like <laughs> like something amazing right um who knows what what could happen 50 years from now 100 years from now with with the change in 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 perspective that that this offers us and offers another beacon um ref, you know kind of shining the same values as as things like religion or psychedelics which you know all all converge yeah well said and i think the point about disintermediating uh the relationship between the individual and the things of greatest value is spot on right i mean this is and and this has partially been the evolution of certain religious faiths obviously and then it's been the founding of, of others. And, you know, it's obviously integral to the idea of Bitcoin, right? You know, eliminating the intermediaries that could, you know, keep you cut off from your money and, you know, all the, that whole narrative. So I think it's, that's a, a good framing for it is that for the, for the things that are most important in life, and then presumably continuing on downstream to the lesser significant, disintermediating them as much as possible is probably a good approach if you're seeking ultimate autonomy, sovereignty, freedom, liberty, and ultimately union with, with those things that you disintermediate. Because like in the spiritual realm, like if you're, you can remove the intermediary, you know, what do you experience when you're in the kind of the apex of a psychedelic experience? Well, even, even, even the ability of your own identity to disintermediate you or to intermediate the relationship between your awareness and it, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the, the awareness uh, is, is removed, or at least it can be. And so what's the felt sense of that is a tremendous felt sense of unity. Similarly with, with a monetary system, like what happens when you remove the intermediary? Well, not only do you have greater individual sovereignty, but you experience unity, you access unity. You know, it's kind of paradoxical, right? Like the more, yeah. the more you're in, in control, the more of the, the whole you become or access. And this, I think, plays in the spiritual domain and it plays in the, well, now the domain of, of money and, and, uh, and society because of something like Bitcoin. And 
you know, there's another really interesting parallel that probably will need to be explored, you know, in a piece of writing <laughs> or something someday. Um, but I think it's a great, it's a great point. And it, maybe it would, it's an easy um, heuristic to kind of uh, look at society today and say, well, look, how many things and in what, how many areas of your life have intermediaries cut you off from a, a greater degree of truth or responsibility or freedom to things? And the answer is like pretty much all of them for, for the yeah, average yeah. person, right? So mm -hmm. maybe one of your tasks should be to remove intermediaries to the divine, to each other, to your health, to your money, all of it. And as a result, you experience more responsibility and freedom, but also, you know, somewhat, uh, counterintuitively connection with everything, something like that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it, it's very counterintuitive. And I think um, sometimes people think it's too individualistic or selfish when one focuses too much on the self, as if it means that you don't care about the collective, you don't care about other people. And I think the, the point is being missed that, that the whole point is, you know, to focus inward to then connect with everything else mm -hmm. and um yeah i think it's a hard concept to grasp and and that that field of knowledge i guess is kind of muddied with with uh whether it be an education and money and everything it seems like oh no you're you're being selfish and that's the general idea and i think it couldn't be you know further from the truth but it is counterintuitive and uh, just something I've tried using uh, along these lines to try to, I guess, orange pill people and, and, and prove this point is that the idea of credit, right? When, when, we, when we take out credit for something, people tend to think that that money is money that already existed, right? That the bank took from over here and gave it to you. When in reality, that money is, is being created, right? It's just click of a button. So that action of just taking out easy money, the, the easy solution, right? It affects you probably negatively because most people use that credit for consumption, not for creating more. It's just to consume. And that in return is literally creating inflation, right? If you add all the people up is creating inflation is creating the devaluation of the money that you're using so you end up harming other people by using this money so everybody you know like here in argentina inflation is a, is a huge thing and everybody complains and it is it is a burden right but it's also hard for people to understand that they're they're a part of it they're they're feeding it they're fueling it and uh so i think that that concept also helps to to understand why why bitcoin kind of removes that and uh and helps put out that idea that you know focusing on yourself first on your at your actions you end up benefiting or harming um the rest of the people as well yeah well i mean that's the other side of the coin right when, when you take responsibility it's not just for the benefit that accrues to you but you also have to take responsibility for whatever befalls other people as a result of your actions. And that's another thing that we've uh, disintermediated today, you know, that we've obf obfuscated, you know, those, um, 
you know, unintended consequences or unseen consequences of whatever action, be it by central banks, by governments, by institutions, whomever, you know, and, and that's a great point because that's all we're going to have to contend with that as well. And we should want to contend with that. We shouldn't want to be hidden or, you know, blind to the consequences of our actions. So, you know, I agree with that. What, what is it like in Argentina today with what's happening monetarily speaking? Well, it, it kind of seems like a loop. It kind of seems like it's just the same story as always. Um, I'm not sure of the exact number, but I'm pretty sure the year over year inflation is like 50%. Um, what do they so blame people, it on? Like, do they attribute it to anything in particular? That's a good question. You know, I, I, I try not to even listen too much, right. but, um, you know, it, it's similar to the U.S. where it's, it's just always blamed on right. other things, you know, sometimes they'll blame the U.S., you know, because they can or they'll blame uh, people not spending enough, people spending too much, you know, it's it's never their fault, right? And um, it's interesting because people here tend to, like, they, they understand the issues and the downfalls of inflation better than in the U.S., I think, which is the other place I can compare to. Um, so people here tend to buy cars, boats, houses, because, you know, any extra cash that they have, that's what they put it into. And historically, dollars. That's what people always do is buy dollars. So that's what I'm always kind of fighting against is like, you know, um, you're changing, you know, one pile of shit for another pile <laughs> of shit, you know, like, so buying purchasing dollars made sense back in the day when those were the only options today we have another option that we've never had which is which is bitcoin and which you no know, we, we don't have to go into it obviously but it has so many other benefits compared to you know a property or a house or things that devaluate or that have you know maintenance costs mm. or all these other things but you know so despite the fact that people understand inflation and understand you know um how, how negative it can be, it's still hard to really trust Bitcoin, despite the fact that, you know, they have a lot of distrust in the government and in the monetary system. So it kind of, you know, blows my mind a little bit that it's, it's still hard for people to understand, but it goes back to a little bit of fear and seeing that, you know, not everybody's doing it. So until most people start doing it, you know, it's probably not going to catch on. Yeah. Well, I mean, Again, I may be making a bit of a leap here. Or I'm, I'm intentionally being somewhat playful, but like mm -hmm. when you see the light, it's the most obvious thing in the world, right? <laughs> Back into the religious uh, terminology here. But before you see it, you know, it's nowhere to be found. It's, it's one of those weird phenomenons. Like you and I could think like Bitcoin is, first of all, there's an element of faith, of course, because nothing is certain in life and maybe Bitcoin doesn't mm -hmm. work out. And it's, it's none of these things that we're, we're saying it is. I mean, that's a possibility. We have sure. a, a, you know, you could say we're making a probabilistic bet, or you could just say we're, we're kind of taking it on faith that we are more correct than we're incorrect about this thing. But, it, you know, it, it could still fail. Um, but that, you know, that's but once you, if it is what we think it is, once you see it, it's, un, it, un, it's like impossible not to see everywhere, right? It seems absurd that anyone couldn't see it. And yet that's, that's kind of the way that uh, worldviews and perspectives and ideas work. Like until, you're, until they change you, until it clicks, 
it's not in that narrow frame that we started this discussion off with, right? It's just, it's, you know, make, call it the Overton window or call it the frame or, or whatever, or perspective, but it's just not there. And so it's not within the, the, the collection or selection of options that you feel are available to you to, to rectify or respond to a problem that you're confronting. And then, you know, once it is, once the orange pill drops, you're just like, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> all, it's mind blowing and it's all consuming. And you're like, holy shit. You know, I, I went from having a problem to being like insanely motivated about uh, what kind of a, a future is in store. If we, if we can engage this properly and navigate it properly. And if I take it upon myself to become the person to do that, you know? And so, mm -hmm. um, Little by little, I guess, you know, with each passing day, more people come into the fold. Unfortunately, it's by necessity a lot of the time and not by, uh, you know, just random choice or chance, but that's the way so many things work. And at least there is a lifeboat now. So for, for people that really are desperate and they have that extra and they take it upon themselves to find other solutions and not just accept what they're, what they're being told as solutions and those people will come in and it's kind of poetic in that, you know, mm -hmm. the early adopters of Bitcoin, you know, I, I often characterize it as a, a wealth transfer to the curious, but, you know, to be more specific, mm -hmm. it's a wealth transfer to the liberty minded, to the curious, to the people who think for themselves, the people that don't um, blindly trust authority, like all of those different character attributes or personality attributes mm -hmm. feed into you determine how early you'll, you'll adopt Bitcoin by and large, right? There's obviously exceptions, but, and so that, that's probably a good thing, right? Because then the people with the most Bitcoin in the future are going to be, there's going to be a self-selection for those attributes that we would probably both agree are, are positive ones. And so, you know, there's, there's something yeah. to be happy about in that. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. The uh, early adoption aspect where, yeah, it, it probably um, just rewards certain type of people who initially who were able to see it and have certain values. And yeah, that was interesting. I, I agree with that too. Um, I guess we'll have to see where, where this takes us. And obviously I think Bitcoin, I think about it. I think we all think about it. It could fail, I guess. Um, but I, I don't think, I don't necessarily think it would fail. It may just not end up being everything we hoped or thought it could be. No. Mm. I think that is a more realistic possibility, but even then it's still going to be vastly greater, better than anything we've ever had or known. So, um, and, and we're seeing it now, you said sometimes people adopt it through necessity. Sometimes, you know, that ends up being a more, um, a more lasting conversion, if you will, you know, because, right like what happened in Canada or what's happening now, you know, it's, it's solving issues. And, and we're seeing that it's, it's now starting to solve these issues that we've already been talking about for some time and that still seem difficult, you know, like, oh, but governments can stop it or governments can control it or government. And we're already starting to see that they, they really can't, at least up till now, um, at the bare minimum, it'll be a lot more difficult. The rewards of controlling it, right? Um, decrease drastically they need to, a lot more manpower to to, to gain a, a lower level of control that they had before so inevitably i think it's it's gonna it's gonna have to bring good things our way couldn't agree more man um mm -hmm. 
this has been a great discussion. If if you yeah, don't man. mind, or or how do you feel about if I put this up on the feed? I know that I love it. You know, we weren't yeah. necessarily going to do that at the beginning, but I think uh, I think people might find it interesting. Yeah, for sure. I, I, awesome. I think that'd be great. Yeah. Sweet. Well, look, man, uh, this has been great, and um, I'm sure we'll stay in touch. So I look forward to another chat sometime in the future. Yeah, for sure. Me too. Appreciate All it, right, man. Bro. Have a good one. Take care. You too.